Hebrews, and I wanted to talk today about something that relates to tonight. I want to talk about God's love banquet. Tonight we're going to have our, our annual love banquet that the church puts together. That's why the tables are decorated. That's why there's flowers and balloons and everything is so beautiful. It's going to be a great night, church, a great night. Really, be here at 6. It starts at 6.30, but be here at 6. If you aim to be here at 6, you'll at least make it by 6.30, amen? Just say yes and make the pastor feel better. You'll be here at least by 6.30, amen? Because we're going to start without you because the food's going to get cold if we don't. Anyways, so in talking about God's love banquet, you look at that and you go, you know what? Pastor, that's not very Valentine's Day-ish. Where's the hearts? Where's the little fat babies with the wings? In case you guys don't know, cherubs don't have fat baby wings. They're, they're like 90 feet tall. They have, four pair, they have four wings and four faces. So cherubs are not cute little babies. They're really scary guardians of the, of the temple of God, so don't mess with cherubs. Anyways, what is God's real love banquet? Tonight we're going to celebrate earthly love, the love of husbands for wives, church members for church members, believers for believers, and God for us. But take a look, Hebrews chapter 5 today, verses 1 through 6. I chose this based on a very famous passage out of Matthew. Jesus tells the story, as you're getting the Hebrews, Jesus tells this story of a man, of a king, who throws a banquet for his son's wedding. And he goes to no expense, and he, he prepares this lavish, lavish feast, and he sends out these invitations, and everyone knows they're being invited. And he says, now go get my guests. And the guests start making excuses why they can't come to the banquet. Do you remember the story Jesus told? To shake your head and go, amen, even if you don't, just make me feel better. Okay, that's a great story. But I want to relate Hebrews chapter 5 to this. You see, because Jesus was appointed by God to prepare our love feast. Not the one we have tonight, but the one that we celebrate every single time we open the word of God, every single time that we pray, every time that we come to church, we are celebrating a love feast. Did you know that? Just because the flowers are not on the tables doesn't mean we're not celebrating the love of God. Look what it says, Hebrews 5.1. For every high priest taken from men is appointed in service to God for the people, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he must make a sin offering for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, the Messiah did not exalt himself to become a high priest. But the one who says to him, you are my son, today I have become your father, also said in another passage, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now God bless this to your understanding because I know what you're thinking, Robert, I can see in your eyes. What does that passage have to do with a love feast or a banquet? Absolutely nothing. But see, here's the thing about the word of God. We've been in Hebrews, and repeatedly, Jesus is referred to as the high priest, yes? To say yes. Let's practice this. God says he loves you, amen? amen. Okay, pastor's good looking, amen? amen. Oh, what's up with that? Y'all ain't listening. You're just, okay, that's fine. No, on that one, it's okay to lie. You can make me feel better. Anyways, so he has talked so much about God, I mean, about Jesus being this high priest, Sometimes we go, oh, pastor, it's another high priest passage. 
how can I hear one more thing about the high priest? Well, consider what the high priest does. Look at this. For every high priest taken from men is appointed in service. Did Jesus come accidentally to the earth? No. Did Jesus come with no intention or no purpose? No. Did Jesus just get bored of heaven and walk down to the earth to walk around and have some fun? No. Jesus was appointed by, he was selected. He was chosen by God to do something amazing. Is it an accident that you're here today? You know, you're visiting, right? You think you just came across us on the web. Uh-uh, buddy. God had his finger on your mouse and took you to, I believe this. I believe fully and importantly that God is a sovereign God. And can I get an amen from somebody? You are here because God put you here. Why did God put you here? Because there's something that is going to happen today or be spoken today or be read today from the word of God that you need to hear for your life. And that is true for every single one of us. Every one of us is here because God moved you to be here. Why did Jay join the church? Why did Miss Sharon join the church? She gave her testimony. She was praying for a church like this, and she had to walk past a bunch of churches just to get to us. Big churches, fancy churches that could have given her more things, more stuff, more programs, padded pews, organs, and all that stuff. Why here? Why did she come here? Ask her her testimony. Miss Sharon will tell you God led her here, put her here. Can I get an amen, Miss Sharon? In the back. Thank you very much, sister. All right. It's true. You're here because God has appointed you to this place and to this time. You're sitting there thinking, oh, no, now my friends pushed me into coming. I'm not really here because I want to be here. I'm here because I'm being pressured. No, you're not. God is giving you an opportunity. He's giving you a chance to see something about who he is and what he wants to do in your life. Because it says this, if the high priest comes to offer gifts and sacrifices, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant. You know what that word gently means? It means compassionately. Now here's the thing about compassion. Compassion does not lie. Can I get an amen? Compassion tells the truth even if the truth might sting a little bit. To deal, to deal compassionately with somebody is to tell them what they need to hear, to tell them what's appropriate, to tell them what's missing. That's why I said, you're here today because God needs you to hear something. He needs you to hear it so that it can sink into your heart, the Holy Spirit can wind it up in you, and you will be changed by your exposure to God's Word. It's not me that's going to change your life. It's the Word of God that's going to change your life. It says the high priest deals gently with those who are ignorant. I love this word, ignorant. Ladies, in the future, if your husband forgets something, I want you to memorize this word, agnoia. Repeat after me, agnoia. It means you don't know nothing. It's exactly what it means. It means you don't, you don't know what you're doing. You are agnoia. Isn't Greek fun? I wish I had a Greek teacher like me. It would have been a lot more fun. I would have stayed, I would have stayed awake in class. To, see, God sent Jesus to deal with those who were agnoia, those who had no idea who he was, what he was doing, what he was about. That's why people go to church on Sunday, and they sit, and they sing songs, and they shake hands, and they go home unchanged. They are unchanged because they come agnoia, without knowledge. They leave agnoia, without any idea, and because of that, they're not changed. Their lives stay the same. 
I had a man tell me, I've been in church 35 years and I'm the same man today as I was then. You know what I said? I am so sorry that you're on your way to hell. He looked at me like I had just spoken blasphemy. He says, I've been in church for 35 years. I said, yeah, and you never figured out who Jesus was either. That's the thing. You cannot be in God's house, exposed to God's word, and not be changed by who Jesus Christ is. It can't happen. You ever drop those little red food-colored tablets into water when you're dying Easter eggs? Okay? It looks like blood, doesn't it? Drop the little red egg. That's what happens when Jesus gets into your life. You will be changed by what happens. You will be changed by that infusion of his life. That's what the high priest was able to do. He was able to enter into people's lives who were caught up in sin and not just offer the sacrifice for them, but deal with them, help them, change them so they could be acceptable to God. Verse 3 says this, Because of this, he must make a sin offering for himself. Because, you see, the high priest was susceptible to sin. That's why they put that chain on his leg when he went into the, in the Holy of Holies. In case he hadn't sacrificed properly and he would drop dead, they would pull his body out. They were always afraid that he would never take care of his own sin. Here's the thing. We need to take care of our own sin. You see, a love banquet is a place where we come to feast, amen? But would you come to a love banquet with hatred in your heart? Would you come to a love banquet with jealousy in your heart? Would you come to a banquet grudgingly? I don't want to be here. This is going to be boring. I'm not going to have any fun. I could be home watching television or playing, you know, Xbox 360. I could be doing something else. That's not how you come to a love banquet. That's not how you come to God's house. You need to clean that up. The high priest had to clean himself up before he went in God's presence. Sometimes we need to do the same thing. Jesus was appointed by God to prepare this feast. And what was the feast going to be? What did the high priest, what was his most important task? To make the final sacrifice for the sins of Israel. He made the final sacrifice. The last lamb offered on Passover was done by the high priest. He slaughtered the last lamb. In fact, he would take the last lamb up, and when he realized it was the last lamb, you know what the high priest would say? He would say, I thirst. Hmm, sound familiar to anybody? He said, I thirst. And they would give him a glass of wine. He would slaughter the last lamb, and when the last blood was shed, you know what the high priest would say? It is finished. The last sacrifice is done. Does that sound familiar to anybody? This is not even an Easter sermon, but it's, it's getting there. Jesus mimicked the high priest on the cross by repeating the lines of the high priest. You know what's funny? All the Pharisees and Sadducees were seated right there at his feet. They were sitting in their little lounge chairs looking up at him dying. They heard the words of the high priest and they didn't recognize them because they didn't recognize that he was the final sacrifice. Jesus didn't have to sacrifice for himself. He sacrificed himself for us. He became the offering. He became the lamb. By the way, does anybody know on the first Passover, what did they do with the lambs that were slaughtered? Remember they put the blood on the doorpost and lentils? What did they do with the body of the lamb? They ate it. When you made a sacrifice to the Lord, did you just offer it up and it was killed and it was gone? You ate it in the presence of the Lord. Read the Old Testament. 
you would make a sacrifice, or the priest would make a sacrifice on your behalf, you would take the lamb and you would eat the feast in the presence of God to celebrate your forgiveness. You want to talk about what a love banquet is? Celebrating forgiveness that only the high priest could bring you. It says, no one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, the Messiah did not exalt himself. The word exalt means to give glory to himself, to magnify, to build himself up. Jesus didn't want that attention. He would heal people and he would say, no, don't tell anybody. It's not time. When his own mother said, change the water into wine, he says, woman, it's not my time yet. It's not time for me to receive my glory. It's not time for me to be elevated, for me to be worshipped. It's not time yet. He had work to do. He had work to do, amen? Only Jesus could prepare the feast of eternal life for us. We talk about those who've gone on to the next life. I remember when my mother died. I was in seminary. I was a seminary student, right? God's elect, God's holy. I get called at school, your mom's dying. And I said, I'm gone. I told the people at school, I'm out of here. My mom needs me. I went home, and for four months, I watched her die. For four months, I stayed up at night with her, rubbed her back because she hurt so bad. For four months, I changed her diapers. When she died, it was finished. And I was there when my dad died. And I watched him die, too. But you know what? Praise God. I'm going to see both of them again. And I better get an amen on that one. Y'all don't realize, death is not it unless you are not in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you are not going to the final love banquet in heaven. That feast is reserved for those who are invited by the bridegroom. And that's Jesus. And guess what, baby? We are the guests of honor. We're the bride of Christ. He has done everything to... You know who did all this? Brother Jojo. He spent hours upon hours here after the service last night to prepare this for us. He prepared this, all this. He's probably sleeping it off right now. Praise God. May he get the rest he needs. Jesus did everything to prepare a love feast, a banquet for us in heaven. But you're only going to get there if you're invited. And the only way you get invited is by accepting him as Lord and Savior. So Jesus was appointed to prepare the banquet. Look on, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. Now the bitter work of preparation has been completed by Jesus. Now there's a lot of denominations, there's a lot of churches that teach you, yes, Jesus did a lot of it. Yes, Jesus did some of it. But you have to live it out by good works. You have to live it out by righteous actions. You have to live it out and exhibit it, otherwise it's no good to you. I think people who, who believe that way, that you have to do something, they kind of skip this part of the Bible. Look what it says. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Through, though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And he was perfected. Oh, after he was perfected, he became, now mark this, this is where all these churches get it wrong. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Second time you've heard that in this passage. You understand this? It is finished. He learned obedience through what he suffered. 
This is what Hebrews um, 4.15 says. The one that we just did last week. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. That's how he did the bitter work of preparing the way. How could Jesus be the sinless offering? Remember, the high priest went to Bethlehem, and he had to inspect the lambs in the sheep pens. And he had to look at those lambs. If there was anything wrong, a curved hoof or a bent horn, anything wrong, he had to reject those lambs. He had to reject them. You realize why everybody rushed out to meet Jesus when he came in on Palm Sunday? You know why they came in? Remember, everyone rushed out. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. Do you think they came out to see Jesus? Did y'all miss the book? Who were they looking for on that day? I'll tell you who they're looking for. Who went, out the, who went out the door that morning? The high priest. Where was he headed? Bethlehem. What was he looking for? The perfect sacrifice for Israel. Who was supposed to come through that gate? The high priest. What was he supposed to be riding? The donkey of peace. And what was he supposed to have in his hands? The final perfect sacrifice. They were looking for the high priest, honey, and they got the real high priest. They were looking for him to bring back the perfect sacrifice, and behold, on a donkey, seated was the high priest who was the perfect sacrifice. That's why the Old Testament is so amazing. It paints this amazing picture, and Jesus just walks into it. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Yes, he did. Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Whenever you go to a, a banquet or a feast, do you ever consider how much work it takes to put it together? Ladies, those of you who cook, and that's all of y'all, how much fun is it to spend two or three days in a kitchen at 110 degrees, cooking, cutting, chopping, assembling, and you, you, you spend days and days putting this food together. Not that I'm pointing at anybody I know and love. Anyways, you're putting all this stuff together. And you set it on a table. And like a herd of locusts, they descend on it. They consume it and they're gone. And your work is, is finished in a moment. How does it feel when it's all done? Sometimes you feel like, why did I work for three days and it's gone in three minutes? You do it out of love. You do it because... Only you can do it. Because your husband can't cook. You know that. Well, we men can grill. That's our only redeeming hope right there. We can grill. Truth is, you are the one that has to do it. And you choose to do it. You choose to set aside that time and that, make that effort to get it done. And it says this, after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Remember, I go back to it every week because I want to drill this into your heads. When they asked Jesus, what can I do to work the works of God? They wanted to know what were good works, what would earn God's favor. What did Jesus tell them? Tie it to the church? Nope. Come every Sunday? Nope. Lie to the pastor? Nope. Although you can do that if you want to. What did Jesus say was the way to work the works of God? You just read it. He said, Believe in the one whom God has sent. And by that, everybody knew the Messiah. 
How do you obey Jesus? You place your unswerving faith in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, who was the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice. You don't trust in anything or anyone else except that. Does this make sense? It sounds so simple, but it's the hardest thing we have to do. So often we want to think that we did something. We, we made a change in our lives, you know. We, we did this work. No, God is doing this work. He finished the work on the cross. It's all done. There's nothing left for us to do. I won't name one of the largest churches in America that teaches this. They said the blood of Jesus, and I've heard this from the first president, the blood of Jesus will take care of most of your sins. Most of your sins. Now understand this. This is the head of the most, well, one of the largest churches in America. And he says, there are some sins in your life that even the blood of Jesus can't take care of. Can anybody find that in the word of God anywhere? I don't think so. Because the blood of Jesus takes care of all of your sins. That's why he's the perfect sacrifice. You know, the sacrifices that were made by the high priest, they were effective for the sins that you had committed before that moment. Guess what? They couldn't cover the ones that you would commit five minutes later. If you ever grew up in a Catholic church, here's the thing that got you in trouble. You go to the priest, you know, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. It's been 35 minutes since my last confession. You go confess all your sins. You walk out the front door of the church feeling really good, and you know what happens? Someone stole the tires off your car. And after you curse and swear for about an hour, kicking the car and the dog that walked past you, you realize you have to go back in the church and confess all over again because your sins aren't covered. That's slavery. That's bondage to religion. That's not what Jesus came to die to give us. That's like saying, come to a wedding banquet, but you've got to pay for the food. Where does that come in? Seriously. So you see, Jesus was appointed to do this. And he completed all the bitter work. All the hard work is done. The feast is set. Remember the story Jesus told? On the day of the wedding banquet, they went out to everybody. This guy says over here, well, I got a brand new car. I got to go test drive it. This guy says, well, I just had a new baby. I got to stay home and help my wife take care of the baby. And that guy over there, he says, well, my wife's away, so I got a card game tonight, and I got to go play some poker. All these excuses, they knew the, they knew the uh, banquet was coming. They knew the marriage day was coming. They had been told, they had been warned, they had agreed. And when the time came, they, they reneged, they left. They went back on it. They wouldn't go through. Guess what? How happy do you think the king was with them the next day? Guess what? If any of them changed their mind in the last minute and they rushed up to the door to beat on the door to come into the banquet, but the doors have been closed already, guess what? You don't get to go. Unless Sister Violetta said, the day is coming. And soon here, when there will be a trumpet sound, the archangel will blow that trumpet, and sweetheart, those of us who are in Christ are out of here right behind the dead in Christ. And we are gone, and we are going to a wedding banquet, and there we will be with the Lord forever. But guess what? If the trumpet blows and you're sitting here five minutes later, you are in more danger than you can possibly realize. 
because the things that will come upon the earth in the next seven years will be horrors that not even the atrocities of World War II could live up to. There's a lady in our church has a testimony. She hasn't given it yet, but she will. She was a child in Manila, little girl, when the Japanese were there. Most of you are too young to know what that was like. When the Japanese occupied Manila, horrible days. Horrible things were done to the people of the Philippines under Japanese occupation. One lady, as a little child, was desperately sick, very sick. And it just so happens that that one lady met one Japanese doctor who was a believer in Jesus Christ, a man of compassion and love, who made sure that that lady got the medicine and the help that she needed, and she lived. Because God acted through a Japanese officer in the middle of World War II? Tell me God is not sovereign. Tell me God is not amazing. Amen? Someday soon she'll give that testimony. I didn't steal the whole thing. I just gave you the, the skirts of it. But that's how awesome Mark, that's how complete his salvation is. Let's finish this thing up. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. So, he was appointed to prepare the feast, and like a good high priest, he prepared it. He did the bitter, the bitter work of, of suffering, of bleeding, of dying on that cross, and now the sacrifice is made, and it's eternal. We finish here, Hebrews 5, 11. We have a great deal to say about this. The author says, oh, there's so much I could tell you about this high priest and what he did and how he bought this sacrifice. He says, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Paul was a good Southern Baptist pastor, I think, because he, he, he got him going and then he whacks him. He says, it's difficult to explain to you since you become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. We expect babies to drink milk. Can I get an amen from all the moms? You don't expect your six-month-old to say, hey, mom, can I have a steak? You know, you don't expect that. Although I, it was said that I did that, but it's okay. Anyways, verse 14 Solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Here is how you test out your readiness for the banquet. You see, now God calls us to his banquet, but are we ready? Are we ready to receive it? Every Sunday you come here. You're the most faithful church I've ever seen in my life. Every Sunday you are here. You come ready for this message. But let me ask you, even though you're physically ready to sit there and endure my long sermons, are you really ready to absorb what God is trying to teach, what God is trying to give to you? He says it's difficult to explain all these wonderful things about Jesus to you because you're too lazy to understand. This word lazy is the word sluggish. You know, sometimes when you don't take care of yourself, you become sluggish, right? You don't get enough sleep. You don't eat right. You don't exercise. You feel sluggish. You feel tired. And when you're feeling that way, you don't really want to get up and do something. You know, I've been hitting the gym the last month or so. And I'll tell you something. 
after the sixth day in a row of going to the gym, I don't want to go to the gym no more. I'm crying out for the rapture just to get out of it. Ser- hey, seriously. Ooh, I take every seventh day off. Thank you, Jesus. Because Sundays I'm here, so I can't go to the gym. Well, I say that, but I could, you know. Anyways, so here's the thing. On the days I don't go, those are the days I feel sluggish. It's weird. I go to the gym, and I feel good after that. I go and spend that hour on the elliptical, and I feel good. On the days I don't go, I actually feel more tired, which is weird, because you would think that a day off would make you feel more energetic. Now, I know some people, I'm not naming any names, <coughs> like to sleep long on the weekends. You ever notice that when you sleep your seven or eight hours and you get up, you feel good, don't you? After you slept for 11 or 12 or 13 or 17 hours, you feel a little sluggish. You don't quite get up and get going in the morning. Okay, not that I'm looking at anybody, but there we go. It's the truth. You can't sleep 17 hours and feel like a human being. You feel like a potato in the ground. You really do. That's how we are spiritually. Sometimes we come to church on Sunday and the Bible gets read and we feel like, oh, here we go again. Oh, can I just sleep through this? Ah, you know that experience, huh? Okay, think about it. If you're exposed to the word every day, you get a little bit of the word every day, right? You're ready to receive it. Your, your ears are open. Your eyes are sharp. Your mind's going. But when you don't expose yourself to the word, it's like not going to the gym. And every day you don't go, you get a little more tired. It's a little harder to get started again. They say it takes 30 days to establish good habits. It takes only 10 days to break a habit that you've held for years. You realize that? It takes three times longer to establish good patterns than it does to break good patterns. Just 10 days and you can break a pattern of getting up in the morning and having your devotion with your coffee and reading God's Word. 10 days and you're totally out of the habit. Six years later, you still haven't picked up your Bible except on Sunday morning to figure out where the pastor is. I'm not beating you guys up. I'm just saying we have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since, well, nobody in this church, but in other churches far, far away, yeah, since they have become too lazy to understand, too sluggish. It's not that they don't want to. They literally can't hear because their brain is so slowed down from all that's happening. Consider 1 Corinthians 13, 11. We are almost finished. Almost is not now. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Now stop right there. A child is anybody under the age of 13. Let's be good Jews here. So if you're 13 and up, this is you. When I became a man, when I became a young woman, I put aside childish things. How many of us have set aside childish things? How many of us have set aside all that self-centeredness all those, this is how I like it, this is what I want to do, this is how I want to live my life. How many of us have put that aside and say, you know what, I'm just going to open myself up to the Word of God, and when it corrects me, it corrects me. When it says I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, and I'm going to move on with what God's Word tells me. That is a very mature attitude, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that I don't always have that attitude. Sometimes I go, no, I want to lay down on the floor and kick my heels and throw a hissy fit, because it just feels good until later that you feel really embarrassed for having done that at my age. Wow. Anyways, he says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained. 
I looked this word up. This is interesting. The word trained implies somebody who's reached a full age or a mature age. Remember, before the age of 13, you were under your parents' coverage in the, in the Jewish culture. At 13, you had a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah for a girl. And then you became a son or daughter of the covenant. At that point at 13, you were expected to know the word of God, live the word of God. In fact, at 13, you were responsible to be punished by the courts for breaking God's word. Imagine if we held our 13-year-olds to that standard. What kind of country would we live in where 13-year-olds could face the full penalty of the courts? Wow. We've got 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds that can't stand the full weight of God's law, much less 13-year-olds. I wonder. Now, also, too, not only does it mean full age, it means someone who has been practiced or exercised mentally and morally. Now, I would ask you to raise your hands if you exercise regularly, but I don't want to embarrass myself. So, how many of us exercise ourselves spiritually on a day-by-day basis? How many of us exercise ourselves by subjecting ourselves to the Word of God, reading, being challenged, feeling the ouch of God's conviction? Because you know what? It's a lot more important to exercise yourself spiritually than physically. Now, physical exercise does have a benefit. It's true. I've lost 11 pounds so far, so yes, it could benefit you. That's because I want to live longer and preach meaner at you. Anyways, you wonder why I was doing it, huh? But to exercise yourself spiritually, mentally, to sharpen your senses so that when you encounter something in the Word of God, you understand it, you grasp it quickly, that is so much more important in your life. Because it's going to help you make good decisions. It's going to help you know who are the good friends, who are the not-so-good friends. What is good advice? What's not good advice? How do I be obedient to the Spirit and not have to wonder, is that God's voice or is that not God's voice? So this is very interesting. God's called us to a banquet. We're going to have a banquet today. In fact, we're going to have our pop list as soon as we're done. And of course, our visitor... And our, our, our new members of the churches can go first. It's, it's their blessing for getting up there, and birthday girls get to go too. But tonight we're going to have another love banquet. But I want you to keep this in mind. These are just shadows of the real banquet that is to come. So are you ready for the banquet? Here it comes. One, first, you need to recognize that Jesus was sent to provide us with everything we need to enter the banquet of God's grace. Without Jesus, you will never see heaven. Can I get amen? Ooh, half of you don't believe me. Without repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior by asking him to forgive you, you will never see anything but the flaming gates of hell. If you believe that and know that to be true, then say amen. amen. If you don't believe that, I would ask you to grab me before you walk out of here, and say, Pastor, prove that to me. Prove to me that that's what it said. And I'll prove it to you, and then you can repent and get saved. We'll have a lot more reason to rejoice. Amen? Two, Jesus endured everything he did because he loved us and wanted us to be with him. Jesus didn't come to the earth for a lark. He didn't come to have fun. He suffered extreme heat, extreme cold. He he suffered slings and arrows, horrible comments, uh, terrible hardship. 
He went through things that we could never endure. He spent those days in the wilderness being tested by Satan, trying to destroy him before he ever began those three years of ministry. And he did it for us to provide the perfect banquet of salvation. Okay? Finally, every day that the meal is before you, every day when you wake up, hopefully you have this in your house. If you've got a Bible in your house, just say amen. If you don't have one, tell me and I will buy you a Bible. I will buy you a good Bible. And I will give it to you as a banquet of God's love. Everything in here is something that we can feast on every day. There's more in here than you can possibly understand in a lifetime. I don't understand it all yet. Even Pastor Ken, with his infinite knowledge in his PhD, even Pastor Ken doesn't understand every little jot and tittle in the scriptures. You know what? That's good. It keeps us coming back. It keeps us hungry. It keeps us digging in for more. So you see, that's what it is. Every day you have the meal of God's word before you. If you stay with milk, when meat is freely provided, you know, you've no one to blame but yourself. I mean, if you come to my house, I guarantee you're going to get great Chinese food and large portions of fatty red meat. Uh, yes. <laughs> I like stuff that's going to put you in the grave early, but if it hasn't got pound butter on it, it's not good. No, you're going to get meat at my house, and that's just it. If you want to drink milk and you want to stay with Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep that one. If you want to stay there, that's cool. You can still go to heaven with that level of maturity, but you know what? You are missing a magnificent magnificent feast that will feed you for your whole life and build you and make you strong and make you incredible. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word, Father God. You have just called us to feast on this. Lord, you have shown us that Jesus was superior to the angels, even though angels were worshipped in the ancient Near East. Father, he's shown us that he was superior to Moses. Moses, the giver of the law. Moses, the one who led them out of Egypt, Father God. Jesus was superior to him. And Father, we know he was superior to Joshua. And now, Father, we know that he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Father, we've talked about it. Melchizedek was this mysterious priest who was a priest forever. His, his priesthood never ended. He was a shadow of the Messiah. And Father, now we know that Everything that needs to be done has been done. Father, the poor Jews go back every year and they want to have this Passover and they want to have their sins atoned for. But Father, our sins have been erased, thrown as far as the east is from the west, blotted out so there's no more record of our sins, all because Jesus was the perfect high priest and he was the perfect sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice. And so Father, I thank you that eternal salvation has come to every one of us who calls upon the name of the Lord. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who does not know you, does not know your love, does not know your grace, I pray they will not leave this place until they have experienced it. Father, I pray that right now as we rise to sing, that my chains are gone and that I've been set free. Father, I pray that it is the truth for every one of us, that every one of us can sing that song with the full knowledge that Jesus is ours and he is our atonement. Lord, thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we eat physically,